Lord, we thank you for calling us friend. We thank you for being almighty, able to do all. And though we were enemies, yet you died for us, called us your friends, called us your family, your children, welcomed us into a new relationship with you. We thank you for that, and now we ask that you would speak to us as your children. We want to follow in your ways. We want to do what you do. We want to do it by your power, your strength, your reorienting of our lives so that we can display your glory, your goodness, your friendship, your love in this world. Speak to us through your word today, we pray. Amen. Well, last time we talked about being a family, we talked about restoration and freedom, and we're going to continue some of that this time. We're wrapping up Leviticus. I know you're all sad about that, but it is the end of our series on Leviticus, and, um, but we get to go into Numbers next week. So for Lent, we'll be doing six weeks on Numbers. Pastor Andrew and I will be doing six weeks through, through the book of Numbers, like he said, the wilderness um, for Jesus. For us, for the children of Israel, how does that, what does God teach us in the wilderness? Um, but I know we're leaving your favorite book, so this is the last, last we'll, we'll get to Deuteronomy, we'll get a little bit of a re, you know, reprise, but uh, anyway, after, after that we're going to have Easter, and then we're going to have a, a special series in the, month, in the month of May, we're going to have some special things happening, including Pastor Jim coming to preach for us uh, at the beginning of May, so... Um, uh, we'll talk more about that later. So, Leviticus, we uh, have been looking at as part of our year of living justice and uh, learning how to live just and right, and we talked about how do we live that, and so this week we're talking about family, yes, but what should we do about them? So, we talked about how we want to live in all of our relationships, in a just relationship and a right relationship, righteousness and justice in our relationship with God. And Leviticus talks about that, the sacrifices that are made, relationships with other people and relationships with creation, with the land. How does that work for this nation as they're laying out their constitution in the uh, Torah, in these first five books that, that Moses has, the story as well as these laws that God has spoken to them um, about how to live in justice and righteousness. So, um, and there's, we talked about how it's all mixed together in these last chapters of, of Leviticus. So you have a, a law about relationship with the land, a law about relationship with people, then with God, and it just goes back and forth. And uh, things are kind of, there's kind of themes that are woven through. And uh, so it's not like one chunk and the way we might systematize it. So there, there's a couple of chapters about Sex, we're going to talk about sex later. We're going to have a series about that. You want to hang around for that, I know. And um, we'll, we'll be talking about some work and money stuff some more. Um, but we want to talk some more about relating to each other, related to economic justice and other things. Um, so I want you to notice that in the law, creation is restored. So there was, in the economic relationship, for example, there was a, a shared use of natural resources back in the garden. And there was a right and a responsibility to work, to take care of the garden. 
and there was growth, multi be fruitful and multiply, and, and trade, and, and fair sharing of those products. But after the garden, after the fall, things got messed up, and growth became too much. Everybody wanted more and more and more, and, and work became weeds, and res resources became a, a source of conflict between people, and there wasn't fair sharing. So injustice happened with the rebellion against God and his ways in the fall. Um, but in the law, this is being restored. And within Israel, this is going to be a new way where there are all of these things happening again. There's going to be blessing again as there is justice and shalom again. So we talked about capital and the two most important kinds of capital in the people of Israel was family, social capital. The fact that you had family to take care of you made such a difference to raise you, to help you, to train you, to help you out if you had problems. So we, and we talked about how all these things that might happen to you, your kinsmen should help you out. They should lend you some seed. They should care for you. They should buy you out of slavery. If you get so low that you have to uh, sell your labor or you have to sell the land, they should try to buy the land back. So your extended family was such an important part of keeping a, a important part of capital so that you could continue to be productive. And the other piece was family land. So these were tied together because the family lived on the family land that God gave them in the specific time. Remember, we had the Monopoly board out here last week, and I, I should have brought it out again. But the, you know, in the family, it was distributed evenly, unlike the way it is most places, including now. It was distributed evenly, and they were going back to that family land every 50 years. So we talked a lot about the Jubilee last time. So there was especially family care extended to the poor and marginalized because if the family was the place where you had all this security and the family land was the place where you had all the security, what happened if you didn't have family or you didn't have land? So it's extended to the poor and marginalized. The poor in general for various reasons. Um, there's Again, in Scripture, there's, there's reasons to be poor. There might be famine, there might be laziness, there might be um, oppression is the big one that, that is talked about in Scripture. But those who did not have family, so widows and the fatherless, God over and over and over emphasizes you need to take care of these people because they don't have other things to depend on. And so even things that we go like, so you're supposed to marry his brother when, you, when he, he dies? and all That makes sense in Africa. Point is, you get brought into this extended family, you marry in, and then as a wife, you are now part of that family. You have that land, and your children are part of that. So when you, your husband dies, you are not out on the street or a prostitute or something else, which was much of the, not much choice. You're either destitute or prostitute when you were out of, when you didn't have a husband, because the husband really had the power. So you were part of the family. You were married to the brother. That was a way of taking care of widows and orphans in a way that some cultures in Africa still do. One of my, one of my friends realized the importance of this, and uh, after the war in Sierra Leone, uh, his, these women who were his, his mother's age, they, uh, they lost their, their husbands, and they were going to be thrown out, and they, and they had to marry somebody. That's the way it worked. So they come up, and they go, I want that uncle or that uncle. He said, just say, say I, me. So he's got about 16 wives. Um, he only sleeps with one of them, who's with him in Nairobi. 
But the rest of them, he's, they're under his protection. And he goes back and he says, so how's the farming going? And, and until they get their sons grow up and they can inherit the land, he's protecting them from his uncles, who he knows will abuse them sexually and take their land and do other stuff. He's like, oh, that's fine. I can be your... I know you're all going, what? But you see, we come from an individualistic society where it's my individual rights and how are, what are my rights and what do I get instead of a communal society? How do we protect the family? How do we protect the community so that everybody is taken care of? And the family was really what this was about. And so the family is what gets extended. And the family in our time, we talked about last time, is the church. Ultimately, you're really part of this brothers and sisters in this local church and in the bigger clan, in the bigger tribe of, of the church where social capital, we take care of each other. You know, there are people who kind of fall off the cracks. They're, they don't have family. They don't have fathers. They don't have people who are in their lives to take care of them. And if they aren't our kids, whose kids are they? Are they wards of the state? How is the state going to do with them? Not so well. Um, so who takes care of our kids who aren't my kids? That's what the question of the fatherless is. It's a big deal in Tanzania. We've been helping some there. And if you're a widow, it's terrible. Now, we have some things like Social Security and other things that are meant to take care of that. And they take care of some things, but not everything. So those who had no family was a real problem. Those who had no land, Levites, and foreigners, now foreigners might also have no family, but they were to be taken care of because they were out. They were on the fringe. They had no part. So God over and over and over says, take care of the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the alien, the stranger. It's translated different ways. And the poor. And this emphasis is because there is the emphasis within the law about taking care of the family, and that's kind of there already. But he says, extend it so that what you would do for your family, you do for the widow and the orphan and the poor so that they become included. Are we together? Now, it can be easy for us to put family, we're so family-oriented, family values, that some of you might feel like, you know, I don't have a husband or a wife or I don't have kids. I, do I really fit in a family-oriented church? Or, uh, you know, we need to be family to each other. And the reality is a lot of us have family for a little bit and then they move on. Maybe our uh, spouse dies or maybe people move away. We're, we're kind of, and it's kind of funny in our society, you know, you get all the grandparents in one huge building over here and all the grandkids a couple blocks away in daycare over here. And uh, you get, and we get all divided up because... We have other ways of taking care of it than family, but you lose something without family and extending that family. And some of that maturing, even emotional maturing that happens in a family can happen in this family and in our own families as well. So that family care, that familiness is extended. And we talked about how in the, in the New Testament, that's extended where they, they had a shared meal. They shared Often in, in Acts 2 and 4, they're sharing meals every day. And they're distributing food among people every day. And when it comes to communion, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he criticized them for not sharing well between the rich and the poor. That's what that whole passage we're going to read later is about, is how to share food. 
well. And how to honor one another. Don't discern the body of Christ by sharing. So um, they found, in other words, we said, the intent of the law was that there be no poor among you. The mechanisms and the way they did it shifted depending upon the time and the season and the culture. We don't have to have levirate marriage where you marry your, your brother's, your, your husband's brother when you, you don't have to do that. Okay? It's all right. But there are other ways to take care of it. There are other ways to make sure that not only does the widow get Social Security, she also gets some familyness. She's taken care of in, in other ways as well. And we need to make sure she gets taken care of financially as well. So um, let me, let's move on. Um, so just an example. We, talk, we talked about the tithe. Every third year, so the tithe was supposed to go to the, to the uh, temple. Every third year, it was supposed to go locally for the Levites and the poor and the alien among them. They shared the harvest and the money among them. Here's another one. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am Yahweh, your God. First of all, I want you to notice the motivation. Over and over it says, I am Yahweh, your God. Remember we talked about we want to follow in Yahweh's footsteps? Their big footsteps want to be like God? We'll talk about this more sometime, but... The problem with justice and why some of us feel uncomfortable with justice is that there's different definitions of what justice is. Individuals having their, what they really, individual rights, or is it about communal property, or is it about family values, or is it, what, what is justice? And the problem is those things get elevated to the principle, and then somebody else fights from their principle and says, no, now there's no scientific reason why that's the principle. It's a religious choice. Why we pick this principle or that one. But biblical justice is who is Yahweh? Who is God? What does he do? All of those things are important as we follow God. You following me? I am Yahweh. I brought you out of Egypt. That's why you can't be, make slaves permanent slaves. I gave you the land. That's why you have to keep the land. I it's because of who he is. We're following in his footsteps and whatever other people say, which is half right and half wrong, maybe, we need to follow his ways. And it might not be comfortable, but it's important that we follow his ways. Okay, so they were supposed to leave it for the poor. And I want you to notice that this isn't exactly a handout, is it? I have some fields that need harvesting. I'm going to harvest part of them, and I'm going to let some other people who have strong backs and, and the ability to work take the rest of the food. You get what I'm saying? It's not just a handout. So that right and responsibility to work is still there. Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. And that was the same with the gleaning. If you just sat at home, tough. There was food to get in the field if you went out and got it. So I want you to notice, too, that this can be a way that we, we can, um, there's a book called When Helping Hurts, and it says sometimes we show our sense of superiority by handing, giving handouts, and then other people, their sense of inferiority by taking our handouts, and, and in the end, they're hurt and we're hurt because we have a wrong vision of ourselves and they have a wrong vision of themselves. In this case, <clears throat> think about Ruth and Boaz. Boaz had some fields that needed harvesting. 
And he, he let Ruth in those fields. Ruth had very little. She had a young body. That was all she had. So she could work hard. Naomi had nothing. She had an old body. She had no food. She had no kids. But the loyalty of Ruth made this system work. She could have stayed home and married somebody else and had a good time at home. But she was kind of a missionary to Israel. She went away from her culture, away to, to a new place, and the law worked. In fact, it worked beyond. Keep in mind that the law is really the base. It's not the ideal. But Boaz went beyond. And he said, you know, leave a little extra for her. And she came back, and then because what she had combined with what he had, in the end, she had food, and then she got married, and then she had a kid, and Naomi had a grandkid, and she had hope again. And Naomi went from empty to full and rejoicing and great-grandmother of King David. So every part of the body has assets that we need to recognize. Asset-based community development says some people have assets, but we need to let them. But it's easy for us to say, oh, those people don't have anything. One of the examples they give was, was a church that collected, donated toys, and they brought them to, to kids and gave away at Christmas, and it was great. Everybody enjoyed going and giving these toys, and the kids were so happy. And until somebody noticed, you know, the parents were kind of standing in the corner going, what was with that? Well, it was shaming the parents that they couldn't give any toys. So they reorganized it so that they got donated toys, and the parents could buy inexpensive toys to give to their kids. And they could have what asset they had bless their kids and still have honor. You, you get what I'm saying? We can do things in ways that make us feel good but actually wreck things. Or they make us feel worse because we take handouts that they're free. So, we, you know, but we don't necessarily... You get what I'm following? So the law is made so that everybody contributes what they have. Ruth didn't have much, but she gave it with hard work and all she had. And she was welcomed in. She was a foreigner. She was a widow. She was, had no kids. But she became a part of the family. Wasn't that cool? And God's got it now for us to be part of the family. You know, one thing we say around here a lot, we're house of prayer for all nations, a place where strangers become friends and friends become family. How do we make that happen? So, um, so this is how most of us think, especially as kids. I want what I want. I need, right? We're egocentric. And it's about me. And then, then we grow up and we get married and we start to find out that we have kids and they need a lot of stuff and we become family-centric. And it's a lot of work to take care of a family, isn't it? Um, and then if we get an extended family, that's even more work. And then um, sometimes you get to my people and we become the much bigger thing of being ethnocentric or maybe patriotic or however you're going to define my people. Um, but the law keeps pushing us to them even beyond my family, my people, but those people on the margins, the people who, who really aren't us. What do we do about them? Um, so this is justice in all relationships, with God, with family, with the marginalized, and even with foreigners. And here's an interesting thing. It, it repeatedly talks about loving them, but don't follow their ways. In chapter 18, it begins with, don't be like the Canaanites. 
don't follow their ways. It's all about sexual mores and, and the way, what you should do in sexuality. And it ends again with, don't be like the Canaanites. And it also says, don't be like the Egyptians. Don't be like them. Don't follow their practices and their ways and their values. But do love them. The foreigners and the aliens. And, and that can be confusing because you're like, they're wiping out the Canaanites. How, how loving is that? Well, they're wiping out so they don't get wrapped up in their practices. But Rahab and the Moabites, they really hated. Ruth gets to come in and be part of the family. Strangers become family. Because they, uh, they're loved, but not their ways. So, that's, um, so we looked at this last week. Loving your neighbor as yourself. And the aliens and the foreigners, you're also supposed to love like native-born Israelites. Love them as you love yourself. Um, so Leviticus, or Jan Galatians 6, rather, talks about um, this in the, in the New Testament. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You'll always harvest what you plant. And it says, talks about planting to the spiritual nature, etc. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So we need to keep this balance of we need to do good to everyone as much opportunity as we have. And that's planting seed. And we keep planting seed that we don't know exactly when we'll harvest it. We give to people who go off someplace. We don't know if we'll harvest exactly how. But we plant that seed. He says you will be blessed. There will be a blessing. And we especially plant it within the family. So it's okay to pay more for your own kids' school fees and college tuition than for somebody else's school fees and college tuition. Okay? But it's important to be concerned about their school fees and college tuition and not just your own kids. Um, so, Leviticus 25, we talked about the Sabbath year. Last time we talked about freedom and restoration. Now, I want to push this a little bit more um, and go where we did last time. I want to talk about who is that freedom and restoration for. So, um, just reminding us of an incident that happened a little while ago, 2001 now. It still has some implications for us now, though. How many of you remember this? Yeah. So let's pray. Lord, we want to pray for those who are still grieving from September 11th. We want to pray for those who are grieving for everything that happened since September 11th. In America and in other countries as well, Lord, we pray for your comfort. We pray for your hope, your peace, your shalom. Amen. Um, I know those are painful memories. Some of you are like, that's a long time ago. Who cares? Um, but it's still fresh for some of us. And there's a lot that's happened since then. We're still in Afghanistan. 
we're still in Iraq. We're still fighting wars, and it's not totally clear if we're winning or not. We've won a couple times, and uh, still there. So, as Americans, that is. Um, so, after this, some, man, have you forgotten? We mourned, and they celebrated. Um, so, this has been a topic. This is, a, I don't know if it was Palestine or where that particular shot was. So, the question, what should we do about them? Is still a question that's getting chased around in different forms. We keep talking about them in different ways. So who, who are they? Okay, that's the first question, right? Who are they? Well, who am I and who are we? Well, we are not them. So whoever they are, they're not us, right? Um, so me, I'm, I'm white. I'm Norwegian-American. I'm middle-class male, teacher, missionary, pastor, evangelical, Pentecostal, human. Um, so that means I'm not black, red, yellow, Hispanic, Italian-American, Arab. I'm not French, Iraqi, Nigerian, Japanese. I'm not rich. I'm not poor. I claim to be middle class. I'm not female, as far as I know. I'm not surgeon, welfare recipient, plumber, lawnmower. I'm not Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, Catholic, Baptist. I'm not an animal. Um, I'm a kind of animal, I suppose, as a human. But uh, basically, we are not them, and I am not them, right? So who are they? Well, they are all the groups that we know only as a label, not as individual people. So that would include Muslims, Hindus, Jews, Africans, Chinese, Congolese, immigrants, liberals, fundamentalists, secular humanists, homosexuals, blacks, whites, Asians, Hispanics, abortionists, Democrats, Republicans, LGBTQ, we can go on and on. Heterosexuals, whatever. Those people who I'm not, right? So now, even if we know one, we think he or she is an exception. So I know this one immigrant who's you not know, like most immigrants. I know this one white person who's really nicer than most white people, which implies that the rest of them, you know. Um, so they are these, um, you know, them, the ones who aren't we. Um, so who are we? Well, we are not them. Um, so we are normal, developed, hardworking, noble, helpful, educated, rational, Christian, good, loving, defending ourselves, individuals, important. Think of this especially related to Muslims, for example, because that was a thing that came out of 9-11. Um, they are different, underdeveloped, lazy, needy or greedy, ignorant, superstitious, irrational, pagan, fanatical, evil, hateful, dangerous, a horde, irrelevant. Right? I mean, whatever happens over there, I mean, 3,000 people died in 9-11. How many people have died in Afghanistan? How many know? Afghanistan and Iraq? I, we can count exactly how many US servicemen have died and give their full names. How many people have died in Iraq and Afghanistan? What are their names? I, it's irrelevant. Because they're not really people. They're Taliban, they're Baathists, they're something else, right? Um, so. Now, to Muslims, who are we? Well, we're them, to them, right? So they say we're normal, humble, but honorable, hardworking, noble, helpful, wise, spiritual, submitted to God. That's what Muslim means, submitted to God. We're good, loving, defending ourselves, individuals, important. They are different, arrogant, shaming us, lazy, greedy, ignorant, liars, immoral, and unholy, godless, fanatical, evil, hateful, dangerous, a horde attacking our brothers and sisters, irrelevant. They put out all those terrible movies. They, you know, 
And we could do this for any other group, right? Who are the fundamentalists and the liberals or the progressives or the conservatives or the whatever, right? We're, we're them to them and, we're, and they're them to us, right? You following me? Um, and all of you could also name places from your own countries of origin, if you're not from the U.S., of, of those people, that tribe, those. Um, what would Jesus do? Um, would Jesus even understand our situation? Let, let me quote from uh, a... Um, we read this last time. Jesus went to Nazareth. Remember? So what did that mean when he went home? So th this is from a commentary. Now he comes to Nazareth, a town, small town four miles, four miles from Sephoris, where he spent his childhood and early years, youth. News of his preaching... Now, Sephoris, what was Sephoris? Sephoris was the capital that had been destroyed when he was 10 by those people. So um, keep in mind, he's coming home. We did this history last time, but remember the, the, the Monopoly board. The Monopoly board, God gave it to the Israelites because the Canaanites were so corrupt, so unjust. He wiped it off, distributed it evenly to, to the Israelites, and told them how to keep it so that nobody would fall off the board. There would be no poor among them. And what did the Israelites do? They might have done that for a little while, but eventually they got bigger and bigger hotels on more and more of it, and the poor got left off the board and knocked it off until finally he came along and wiped it out and gave it to the Babylonians. Right? And then the Persians came along, and they gave them back a little bit of it, and then the Greeks came along, and there's a little rebellion, and they got it back for a little bit, and then the Romans came along. Um, and so Jesus is here in a time when there's colonialism and oppression and the jubilee is what they're waiting for because the land doesn't even belong to them anymore. They're there, but they're not ruling. So, so the Romans had destroyed Sephoris just four miles away when he was 10. So now news of his preaching and powerful acts of deliverance have already preceded him and the townsfolk gather expectantly in the synagogue, Right? This is to be a celebratory homecoming. Perhaps they plan to take him out in the town the moment the Sabbath is over. Like every small town hero, he has put his town on the nation's map. This is Obama in western Kenya. This is whatever, you know. Um, imagine the mayor and the local journalists who might never otherwise grace the interior of a synagogue jostling to enter. Will he preach a fiery sermon against the Romans? Will he do a mighty miracle as in Capernaum? What's he going to say? He stands up, he asks for the, the prophet Isaiah, and he reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. They're like, yes! We're the poor! He sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Yes, the Romans and are on us in recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. That's us! To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Jubilee! So they... He rolled up this scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? He's one of us. He's Joseph's dad. I know him. I knew him when he was a kid, right? They're excited. And he says, Jubilee is here. The land's coming back. We're going to have restoration. We're going to have freedom, Right? Why did Jesus stop reading in the middle of the sentence? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then he stopped. 
But it goes on and says, and the day of vengeance of our God. They were really hoping for that part too. To comfort all who mourn and provide for all who grieve in Zion because we've had so much problems. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards instead of how it is now where we're working their fields and vineyards. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. But he didn't read that part. But they were still excited because he read the good, he read good stuff. And sure, he meant the rest of it even if he didn't read on, right? Jesus said to them, sure, you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Hey, you're home now with us. You did all that for those people down the road. What are you going to do for us? Because you heal yourself. Heal us. We're, we're one of you, right? So do something. He says, I tell you the truth, Jesus continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. No, they're accepting you. What, what are you talking about? I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. They know what famine, they know what it's like to be hungry. Um, but yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. That's right over there. That's right where the Romans live now. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. What? You mean that Taliban officer, Naaman? Who was cleansed with after he'd killed the father and raped the mother and taken the daughter as a slave? Don't remind us of that stuff. They get the picture. Jesus is saying, the Jubilee is here, and it's for them. Not them. Us. Well, yeah, you too, and them. Now, that's too much. We don't want to share with them. We were talking about us sharing and having the land back and being free from the Romans. And Now you're talking about them? The whole point is to get rid of them. Right? Now, we haven't really had the kind of oppression they had of a foreign power ruling over us in heavy taxation and other things. But they had... Some of you have come from places with a lot of challenges, more than we have. But uh, so, so what's their response to this? All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Why the drastic switch? Huh? They were furious. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Why? Well, that's a little change. First they get a standing standing ovation, and then they stand up and take him out. And Luke is hinting. Well, he's not just hinting. He's saying, here is Jesus' thesis statement for what he's doing. He's bringing freedom and release and jubilee, and it's for everyone, even them. And Jesus, Luke is also giving a foreshadowing of what's going to happen when you do that. They try to kill him. It's not time, so he, he walks away. But in the end, in Luke, it shows that Luke, Jesus says, I'm heading to Jerusalem because no prophet should die outside Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he talks about the, the landlord coming and, and giving the land to other people because these servants were not faithful. And they get upset. They, 
people get that he's trying to give it to the marginalized. He keeps touching lepers and, and, and giving to the poor, the poor and, and then even Roman centurions and all these people, they get it. And they're like, no way. Luke repeats the theme in Acts where Paul says, I'm heading to Jerusalem and yes, I hear the prophecies about how I'm going to be in prison and who knows what's going to happen, but I'm going to go there. When he gets to the temple, what happens? They say, he brought foreigners in the temple. Kill him. And they, they drag him up and they're, they're about to kill him and the soldiers grab him and take him into protective custody and, and he says, can I say something? They say, sure. So he starts talking. He starts talking with their accent. They're like, ooh, okay. Huh, what do you have to say? And he speaks to them for a while and then he says how God and Jesus came to welcome the Gentiles. Kill him! They switch. We don't want them. We want us to receive the Jubilee. Our family should be restored. We should have freedom. But those people don't deserve it. You know what they did to us? And you can tell me if you want what they did to you. I'm sure you've all got good stories. Who am I and who are we? So in the world, they are not us. I'm white, Norwegian, American, American, male, evangelical, Pentecostal. Well, that's all temporary. But in Christ, I'm a creation of God. Like the deer, who's also glorifying God. When I go out and see him, I'm, I'm God's creation made to glorify him. And I'm in the image of God and a sinner that Jesus died for. Just like every other person on this planet. Believe it or not, all of them are also in the image of God, fallen, yes. But Jesus died for them as much as he died for me, despite all the songs that say he was on the cross just thinking about me. Um, he actually was died for everyone. Um, and then I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a child of God, a blood brother, an ambassador of reconciliation, together with... A whole bunch of other, now, there's two billion people, about a third of the population of the world that claims that. We can, you can decide, well, I don't know if they're really one of us or not, but anyways, I'm a, I'm a blood brother with two million other people, two billion other people, in a lot of different countries, in a lot of different situations, in a lot of different economic situations. Are we family? Are we eating together? They are us in Scripture, and that is eternal. Okay? Following me? For eternity, they are us. All this other stuff, I'm not going to really be, I don't know what color I'll be in. in a, I don't even think they'll have the categories when I get to heaven. Um, they are going to have English and Norwegian and Nepali because all the languages are going to be there. Um, and Swahili for sure. Um, so who is this? Uh, these are um, some friends of ours. Our Shadali Shakur and his family. And uh, they're Muslims. Um, so, but they, they were over at our house. We took a picture when Rachel was a little smaller back in Tanzania. Um, 
the middle one there was actually born in the U.S. She's a U.S. citizen. She graduated from McAllister College, and she lives in Minneapolis. Um, and we had her over just a, a month or two ago. I guess it was the end of December. Um, and we had a lot, a lot of time to talk. These days, she wears a, a head covering to uh, identify herself as Muslim and a follower of God. And the family's become more religious than they, than they were at the time. Um, but they're us. We were talking about you know, shared stories. Hannah just went to the, to the uh, wedding for the oldest daughter and, uh, in Tanzania and Mwanza, where they still live. Um, are they us? Or are they them? Are they, some people call them cousins, because they're not exactly brothers and sisters. They follow God, but uh, not the same way we do. Um, so um, how about this? Who's this? All these are some Korean brothers and sisters, um, disciples of a good friend of mine, Caleb Kim. And uh, they're, they're full brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, how about this? Now, this, you, you might recognize John Wans Lima. Um, who's been here to speak, but these are all leaders of the church in Tanzania. They're us. Um, now, when you look at them, you might not immediately say us, but they're us. Um, so we need to love them as ourselves. We need to understand them. We need to understand us. We need to understand God um, Luke 6, let me read it. Uh, I'll just pull the... Luke 6, Jesus says, I'm going to read it quickly. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If you love those who love others, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those whom you expect repayment from, what good is that? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything in return. Then your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He's got big steps that we're trying to follow in in the ways of justice and righteousness. They're hard to keep up with his big steps, the way of Yahweh. But, um, and notice that the reason is because that's what he does. Um, and it goes on and talks about giving and it'll be measured to you in return and not, um, so we should uh, pray for, talk for, vote for, give to, favor, protect, bless them. That's what he just said, right? Pray for those who persecute you even. So we got, we, got, we got the boundaries stretched way out here, didn't we? We were like foreigners. Okay, the nice foreigners who work in my fields, I, I could be nice to them. But now we're talking about enemies even. Jesus pushes it, although it's already in the, in the Torah, loving your enemies. Um, go to them. Welcome them. Um. Ryan and Lillian, Edus, would you come up here for a minute? Um, risk and even suffer for them. Um, so in Matthew 5, Jesus says the same thing. He says, or similar thing. He says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say, love your enemies. Now, just to be clear, the law never said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The law said, love your neighbor. But people didn't think that was quite complete. So they added a little bit to it. And hate your enemy. Just like, you know, God blesses those, God lo- God blesses those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible, folks. It's not scriptural at all. God helps those who are helpless. And uh, so sometimes we, anyways, this was how people quoted the Old Testament wrongly. Jesus says, it says that you say this, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Remember what the law said? Don't be like the Canaanites. Don't be like the Egyptians. Don't follow their ways and their practices. They all hate each, those people. If you only love your people, you're no different from anybody. You're no different from the Taliban or the, or the uh, ISIS or whatever. Everybody loves their people and hates other people. But God's not like that. God actually loved his enemies enough to die for them, pray for them, and forgive them in the middle of it. I have a hard enough time forgiving them decades later. He did it in the middle of it. Um, And it says, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. We're supposed to be like God. He's the measure of justice and righteousness and love. You following me? Now, this is not easy. And let me say, you guys are doing a good job. You're ahead of the game. You, you are welcoming strangers and foreigners and making them friends and family. And it's not easy sometimes, right? So I wanted these guys to talk. Um, so what happened with 9-11 for you guys? These are, these are people who have been hanging around. They were, they were just at the doorways to ministry. They haven't decided if they're going to be members or not yet, but uh, what, they're on the way. <laughs> So we're not sure if they're us or not. Yeah, we know. Um, so after 9-11, we were in elementary school at the time. But um, when we were in high school, we um, took a class on, on world missions. And God um, spoke to us that we were supposed to begin praying for Afghanistan um, and the people, uh, um, Afghan people. And he specifically spoke to Bryant that he was supposed to pray intentionally and specifically for um, Taliban members. Um, so he's a very methodical person, so he put together an Excel sheet, and he put their names on it, and what their rank was, and what they did, and um, we always tell people, like, good thing the NSA wasn't as strong with him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he began praying for them very specifically, and God called us um, after college to, to work with a large Afghan community in California, um, and when I thought of the, the scripture that Pastor Steve told us, um, it reminded me of some friends of ours um, who we got to help um, in their asylum case. Um, and as they told us their story, um, this older gentleman um, told us about how he was in the government. And so there's a lot of threats on his life from the Taliban because of it. And um, he had to become a taxi driver um, because it wasn't safe for him to work in the government anymore. And so... Um, in that, um, he one time picked up a, a person in his taxi um, that he thought was safe, and it turned out um, 
to be a member of the Haqqani Network, which is a part of the Taliban. Um, and that person kidnapped him and took him to um, a farm outside of Kabul and tied him up and said, I'm going to come back and kill you, um, but left for some unknown reason. Um, and then someone wandering by through a field found him, um, let him go, and he and his wife were able to come to America because of it. Um, and when he told us this story, uh, miraculously, the name of the man who had kidnapped him was someone that had been on Brian's Excel sheet um, five or ten years before that. Um, and we believe that like, not only is that God's grace on our friend's life, that he wasn't killed and he got to come here and we were able to share Jesus with him, um, but that's God's grace on that man too um, because he has one less person's um, blood on his hands and um, God had just as much mercy for him as he did for our friend whose life was saved um, and we believe that yeah one day maybe that man will get to get to hear um, the truth of Jesus too um, and we got to talk with our friend about forgiveness and what would that mean um, to forgive the person that kidnapped you and and to share with him um, and so yeah we just we believe deeply that that um, yeah, that God loves people in the Taliban. He loves um, people in ISIS and, and in the Haqqani Network. And, and his mercy for them is that they would um, know him and be able to share him with their people. So what are you doing now? <clears throat> What's your plans? Um, yeah, so, so we lived in California and worked um, with this group of people for four years. And now we're back in the Midwest. We're from Iowa um, preparing to... God willing, um, move to Afghanistan and, and hopefully share the hope of Jesus with um, Afghans and maybe even the Taliban. And what training have you done to that end? Um, when we were in college, we did a year-long internship on, on working with um, Muslim people and sharing truth with them. Um, Bryant trained with YWAM as well, um, and we've taken many classes on the Quran and, and how to share with people. And your midwife? Yes. Yeah, I'm a midwife, um, so I believe um, in holistic ministry, using um, healthcare as a way to reach people for Jesus. Um, and Brian's uh, uh, studying to be a paramedic. Um, hopefully, um, people in Afghanistan see a lot of um, death and destruction, and so coming alongside of them to, to teach them skills um, to bring life um, back to their people physically and spiritually. Thank you. Can we... Can we pray for these guys? Um, maybe it's easier to picture them than it is to picture Taliban. You didn't have them all listed in your, in your bedroom at home. Um, but we could pray for these guys. Lord, we pray. For Brian and Lillian, we pray that you would do your work in them. You pray, we pray that you would enable them, that you would open doors that seem impossible, that you would send them. We pray that you, you would help us to be part of sending them. And we pray that you would do fulfill the dream that you've given them. Amen. So, um, so why not love them? Well, because we're afraid. I think about going to Afghanistan, I get, I get afraid. <laughs> Fear, anger, envy and jealousy. Well, why, how come they have that? Either we want what they have or we want them not to get what we have. Um, despair. Is there any hope? Um, conforming. Everybody does it. Yep, everybody hates <laughs> other people. Everybody loves us, hates them. That's pretty true. 
and those feed on each other. You know, um, the law was said, um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to limit vengeance. So that when you knocked out one tooth, you only knocked out one tooth, not a whole mouthful. But most of us have taken that as permission for vengeance. And, uh, and as Gandhi said, then the whole world will be blind and toothless. Um, and we're working on it. Um, so uh, I've talked to some, to uh, a member of the, of the special forces who was in Afghanistan. He said, you know, he was really attracted to a particular approach that was taken where they moved into the village, tried to help people out, and it was having success, and then the strategy changed. And he was able to change that strategy and go to Syria as a representative of the kingdom of God, and he really loved that um, because he could do that. Uh, and I, I think I've maybe told you this story before, but um, uh, I met a surgeon in Nairobi who was there for a, a doctor's conference and a missionary surgeon. He was at the World Trade Center, in the World Trade Center at the time that it was, it was attacked. And he managed to get out. He was on a lower floor, and he went to a triage center. And when he got back home to Virginia, um, people wanted to know about it. So he got up and he told them his story. And, and he read this passage from Luke 6 about love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and just there. And one of his friends, who was an Air Force pilot, jumped up and said, you don't expect us to do that? And that was a good question. Does God really expect us to do that? Or is that just nice words? What's interesting is this kid, this guy grew up in Pakistan, and he has been a missionary in Pakistan, been a surgeon in Pakistan. He was just miles away from bin Laden being killed as well. Um, and you know that the mosque next door does all kind of hate stuff about this Christian hospital, but he also heals the imam's eyes and, and does operations for him. And he knows everybody speaks a language, and... He said, what if we had done that? What if we had loved our enemies, prayed for those who persecute us, fed the hungry? Would we be farther ahead or farther behind? Now, it's interesting to me that when somebody like this, the Medhus, say they want to go to a place like that, we say, what, are you crazy? You could die. And yet, when our military goes, that's okay. Billions and trillions of dollars is okay. Is the kingdom of God. Now, I am not commenting on U.S. policy in the Middle East. I don't know what it should be, okay? I want to talk about what we should do as Christians, Christians around the world. What can we do for them? Them in our neighborhood. Them someplace else them who live across the street, um, them who are part of our All Nations Family Churches in some ways. What can we do to, now we could, why not love them? Let's say, let's say that phrase a little different. Why not love them? Why not trust, not them, but trust that God is able to do stuff. Why not give release and favor and grace instead of anger? We receive that, right? Why not look to God and expect reward from him? Why not have hope and joy because of God rather than despair? Why not conform not to what the pagans do and everybody does, but to what Jesus and his followers do? Because these feed on each other too. Have you ever noticed that? 
when you reach out to somebody who's them with love, they tend to respond with love. You give hospitality, they tend to respond with hospitality. You, you give a, a warm smile, they tend to respond with a warm smile. You ever notice that? And amazing things can happen when you do that. So um, we are a worshiping family for all nations. Where strangers become friends and friends become family. That won't happen without God. I don't have it in me to do that, honestly, even with the example of Jesus Christ. But he can fill me with his Holy Spirit. And he can do that within me. So that I move beyond me and my family and my people to them, whoever they are. So that Jesus becomes my focus. And they, as the law keeps saying, become my focus. And the church's mission comes, and, the, and God's mission. I can do all of those things with a different focus. One last scripture, 1 Peter 2. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Remember, we are called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? In the New Testament, too. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For you, he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Remember, we were them. And now we're fellow citizens. We're family members. We're in together with God. He says, once you had no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. Well, wait a second. I thought we were insiders. But he says, no, as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage against your very souls. You see, in this world, we're temporary residents and foreigners. Because once you start saying, I'm part of them, I'm part of that kingdom, that's where my real loyalty is, other people here say, what? I thought you were one of us, and now you're giving your loyalty to a different kingdom, a different king, a different people. You're not acting like we are. You get the kind of the kickback that Jesus did and Paul did and other people when you love them. You might not be loved as well with people who you thought were us. He says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if you, they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king, I just threw that in there so you know I'm not talking about politics and what we should do in the U.S. <laughs> we need to still submit to the government authorities. But how do we live? You get what I'm saying? We, when we start to really act like God, loving that way, then we start to realize how temporary resident-ish we are in our own community. You get what I'm saying? Can I have the worship team come up and we're going to do communion? So now, I want you to think about this. This is family time. This is time to eat together around this table. Some of you, all of us, we're foreigners. 
outsiders, not part. But you are welcome to this table, even if you're not a member of our congregation. You're welcome if you have given Jesus your life and you're following him. If you haven't, please talk to one of us afterwards. We'd love to welcome you to the family. But you're not a foreigner, an outsider. If you're a citizen or not, if you're undocumented or not, you're part of the family. You're one of us if you're following Jesus. So you are, we are fellow citizens together eating the family meal together with the one who gave it all when we were still enemies. So can I have the, the others um, come up here? Um, we're going to pass these out and uh, you're welcome to hold it until we are done. There's a little, uh, there's a little cup here with gluten-free. For those of you who want that, need that. Um, so, and, and if you have kids with you, you're welcome to decide whether they, they should partake or not. So let's pass out the, the meal that Jesus wants to partake with us today.